Unlike the cosmic shift that occurred at noon when Christ died and the sky turned dark and the temple curtain ripped in two, resurrection comes to us in pieces. No brass, no fanfare, no Easter lilies, just morning dew and burial spices. A missing body, idle tales. The story slowly unfolds. It's been a few weeks since Holy Week and we are in an Easter season. If you feel like you blinked and the day of resurrection had already vanished along with the jelly beans and chocolate bunnies, this is for you. Resurrection unfolds. Like the fiddlehead fern unfurling here in central Indiana, new life is sometimes realized incrementally. Our taking stock of it and its influence, its transformation of us, that is the work of Easter. Hey everyone, and welcome to New Way. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. So when we even go to church on Sunday, how much of that expectation of what we hope to extract from that worship experience or that ministry that we're involved in, how much is that weighing us down from really allowing God to open up new paths, new ideas, new experiences for us? And I think that fear and that commodification of our experience and ministry programs when we hope to get out of them holds us back a lot. Today is part two of my conversation with Zach Morton. If you missed the first part, it's up online now, but this part is all about trails. Off trail, on trail, following a map, getting lost, finding the scenic vista, and for some of us, wondering why you agreed to a hike in the first place. Zach unpacks this hiking metaphor for us and offers some stirring questions as we thoughtfully consider what kind of church and world can emerge in the months and years to come. Soren Kierkegaard once said, I have walked myself into my best thoughts. My invitation to you today is to join me and Zach on the trail. I'm drawn to what you say as a pastor and as a community member now in West Virginia, not far from where you grew up and you know were able to spend your childhood exploring these unextracted areas, these native plants that have adapted for generations and generations and generations to these particular locations, these particular climates all around our country and in uh, the Appalachian Mountain region. As you think about being a pastor and working in the community, one of the things you had done in the last year was to be very, very present to the land and put on your walking, hiking shoes, and you did actually a walk through West Virginia. To me, that was an acknowledgement of the Holy Saturday moments, but also a journeying together as a people to explore possibilities in West Virginia. Yeah, so the pandemic really allowed me some flexibility to be able to do it. Um, I initiated this thing that I call Walk for West Virginia, and it was, the genesis of it was working a lot with the houseless community here in Morgantown, uh, which we have a real population of those folks here. We're a downtown church, so we try and fully embrace that. We think God put us here in this particular place within our city for a particular region. So we do a lot with those folks. And they were organizing a camp where a lot of them got together. And of course, it drew the ire of a lot of city officials and county officials and it just brought to light that there were a lot of people who held a lot of really damaging stereotypes about folks in the houseless community here and people who are experiencing extreme poverty in all sorts of ways. And again, I'm not going to get too into the outside 
influences of how this happens and, you know, the failings of our economy and it's how that's magnified here in West Virginia of people who can work 40 hours a week and still not be able to save up enough money or have access to affordable housing and all that kind of stuff that they need here. That's a different conversation that's talked about on it. So in order to raise awareness and do an education piece, and we also did raise some money to get people into housing, I did this thing called Walk for West Virginia. It was completely grassroots because that's the model that I think Jesus portrays is just literally traveling on foot, place to place, recruiting people for this kingdom of God building kind of work. And that that sort of organizing on the ground is what Jesus modeled. So that's sort of what this is built on. I organized a walk from Morgantown to Charleston, West Virginia, which is the state capital. And along the way of the walk, I stopped and literally slept wherever I could along the side of the street, sometimes in the yard of churches on the campus of West Virginia Wesleyan, where I graduated from. So I slept all these different places on the street with a tent. I carried everything I had on my back because for so many of our folks, that's their means of transportation is walking through Morgantown. Hmm. So there's a little bit of solidarity in that. I'm not saying that my experience with my backpacking gear is the same as a yeah, houseless yeah. person in Morgantown. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I had it far better than a lot of folks do. But it drew awareness. And the main piece of that was along the way, I would stop and record three or four videos every day highlighting different intersectional issues that houseless folks face. So we would talk about affordable housing. We would talk about how a lot of our social workers and organizations are underfunded and understaffed. So the volume is intense for folks who need them. Because a lot of times what happens is even if folks get placed in housing, they don't have the case management to follow up and support them. So they end up getting kicked out for not great reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So we need increased support. The red tape of just getting an ID document that you need in order to move forward with a HUD application. People aren't aware of how many, quote, little... issues there are that we just don't face on a daily basis when we're not facing extreme poverty that keep them in that place. Our culture is built to set up so many barriers that people just take for granted and don't think about. And it's easy to blame folks who are in those situations for external idea that they're not motivated or they're just addicted or or whatnot. And Mm -hmm. we don't consider how hard it is to just get from place to place. So it was an educational opportunity and we did raise some money for it. And what really gave me hope about all that was the amazing support that I received from everyday West Virginians, some of whom came and walked with me along various stages of the route. It ended up being 142 miles that I walked, and half the time I was walking with somebody else. Got a lot of uh, news coverage from different newspapers and news stations along the way, and so we did shine a spotlight on it, but you know, it's a small drop in the bucket of the real change that needs to happen in the hearts and minds of everyday people If we're going to change and take down some of those barriers, we need more and more of us as individual citizens invested in making those things happen and being active. And I think often in our society today, we've sort of fallen asleep at the wheel, so to speak, that we don't really think about and we're, we're not good at organizing or being active in advocating and working for policies that we really want to see change. And the only way that policy has moved forward and changed in this country's history is because enough people cared to get involved to do it. Mm -hmm. Politicians aren't that benevolent, surprise, surprise. They're not just going to make changes because they feel it's the right thing to do. It's our job to organize and advocate for change. Yeah, yeah. And you're talking about walking this long journey on foot. And there are 
examples throughout the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament of people taking what seems like forever to get somewhere, sometimes with the path that's laid out. It might be, quote, the highway in the ancient Near East, which was like a dirt or rock path from one place to another than maybe the only path. But there are also moments of wilderness wanderings where there is not a clear path from point A to point B. Or Mm. there might be a hope to reach point B, but we don't know geographically what that place is. A couple of years ago, we were on a retreat together with our cohort in Ghost Ranch, New Mexico. And you offered a devotion to our group centered around the metaphor of hiking on the trail and also going off trail. And you highlighted in that many of us being entrepreneurs in churches and leaders of new worshiping communities, that what it takes, even quite literally the supplies that you would have with you to have a fruitful on-trail hike are drastically different than what's needed to prepare for going off trail. And I would love to explore with you this metaphor that you offered because I think there's a lot of power in it, whether you're a church planter or whether you have a totally different day in and day out life, that there's power on the trail and then there's also power off the trail um, and what we find there and experience there as people of faith. For anyone that goes hiking 90% of the time or probably 100% of the time for most people, you're on a trail, right? Mm-hmm. An established trail that people have walked before you, marked out the route. It's usually pretty obvious. You're following tree markings. And when you do that, you have a sense of security. Some, You know where you're going generally. You know how to get back. There's a clear way, a clear path, because people have gone before you and blazed it. You know. And you better believe that when I'm looking at those maps, I'm like, 0.5 mile hike? Yes, that is the one I yeah. choose. <laughs> I even know like I need to be back in my car in 45 <laughs> minutes is like the extent to my trail hiking. Yes. Yeah, like we're willing to go out in nature with a certain amount of control over it, right? We have yeah. to feel like a certain amount of control over what our experience is going to be. We know what our destination is and we turn back around. And so you anticipate being out there for a certain amount of time. So you bring some water with you, a first aid kit, just in case, different things like that. You don't have to get too super involved in order to hike like that. And I think that the trail metaphor is a really good metaphor for our institutions, which, again, are not necessarily bad things for our tradition and things that have come before us, right? They're like a trail that's been blazed. People have gone before us. And they're comforting because we know where they're going. We know what to expect. You can look up the trail and see how many feet of elevation you're going to climb or descend. There's an element of predictability about it. But the thing that you miss if you don't go off trail is you don't discover any really novel places. You're only going to go where that trail takes you. And I think that's a, a valuable metaphor for the place that the church is in and for a lot of people on their own spiritual experiences who are going through different kind of deconstruction work and looking to grow and really needing to grow and move beyond the boundaries of the kind of faith and thought that they've had before. You have to go off trail in order to get those new experiences, to see those new places, to make new discoveries. And I think the essence of our kind of reform tradition is the church is always being reformed. We've always got to be willing to go off trail sometimes, to get out there. And when you go hiking off trail, it's a completely different paradigm. It's a really different experience. Most people don't do it, and rightfully so, because they don't feel safe doing it. But when I go off trail, you've got to take a whole other set of of paradigms in mind. So you have to pay attention 
to everything about the ecosystem around you. Hmm. You got to pay close attention to the weather and the weather patterns. You have to be able to navigate, to know north, south, east, and west based on looking at the sun or the direction that the winds predominantly blow or where certain plants grow, you can tell. You have to follow and survey the lay of the land. Sometimes you got to go to a higher place to get a vista so you have a direction, a focus. You pay attention to the different kinds of plant growth and the terrain and, and the animals that are there. Because when you're off trail, you have a much greater uh, chance of encountering an animal that you might not want to encounter. So the birds will tell you a lot of the time, if you're paying attention to them, what animals are in the area. And wow. if there's a predator around, they're going to tell you. <laughs> you have to open your eyes and open your senses to a heightened awareness of what's going on around you to help you navigate, to help you find new places, new directions. And the rewards are amazing because you're going to be out there in a place where no one else goes. You're going to find things that who knows when the last time someone has been out there to see it. I think it's a great analogy for the church and church planning specifically is because we have to learn how to operate off trail, so to speak. That if we're going to go new places, if we're going to experience and discover some of the new spots that God has for us, we have to be willing to go off trail, and the only way to navigate off trail is to be more tuned in to the world around you. Hmm. Personally and collectively, we have to heighten our senses and our awareness and look for those places, learn to read the cultural landscape for the places where God is moving and the Spirit is blowing and not just stay in the comfortable places where we have our familiar paradigms and trails marked out for us already. And so we have to learn to look for these things that kind of light up people's imagination or these movements towards the common good that are just bubbling up from within people's souls and spirits all across the country. We have to be more tuned in to the way that those ancient stories are connecting with new ones. We have to basically learn a whole new set of hermeneutical and applicable skills to translate our tradition and our scriptures into people's lived experience. That's a challenge. Yes. And we need a lot of people doing that. Yeah. That's why I love 1001 and why I love being involved with it, is I feel like there's a collective awareness that we're starting to tap into as we have more people who are going off trail and trying new kinds of ministries in new ways. Yeah. And we're, we're learning that in a new way. And I think that's invaluable for not only the Presbyterian Church, but for churches in general, and for our spiritual ethos in this society and culture together. I think it's absolutely necessary that we have to learn how to navigate off trail, spiritually speaking. To me, where this analogy or paradigm hits me today, and I just recently had the opportunity to do my like 45 minute hike on the Appalachian Trail and then leave, you know, when I ran out of snack mix or whatever. <laughs> There's a reason there are certain trails and they take us to magnificent, overwhelmingly beautiful, sacred spaces. Where the analogy hits me is that if I go to a famous trail that's been marked, I look for and am taught to look for these scenic vistas. You know, when you reach the top of this hill, look out to the east and you'll see the Seven Sisters Mountains. Or on this area of the trail, you'll notice some native trillium species during April. You know what to expect and 
part of the work of being on the trail and the joy of being on the trail is to savor those moments and to invite people into those moments. And maybe the analogy for this Easter season is that like what we've set up in Christian liturgy and in tradition in the liturgical year is that like Easter is this amazing brass filled trumpet fanfare filled with lilies and colorful eggs and flowers on the cross and people think for months about what they're going to wear to Easter and everyone brings their own little piece to make it special and to savor it together. And if we take this imagery that you're talking about and think about off the trail and maybe even in this year, as you said, developing those muscles, the integration, the command of our senses to recognize that we don't know what those pieces will be. And for you and me, they might actually be not the same thing. I may be drawn to enter fully into this wilderness analogy to like the ground covers of spring or the ephemeral flowers. And you may be drawn to hiking up to the top of that rock and surveying what's around you. And if we come back together and say, Zach, what did you see over there? This is what I saw over here. Oh, wow, I can see how those are connected. Or that's a totally different microclimate. There's an acknowledgement and a need to understand the way that these webs of life are connected versus when we're on the trail, understandably, we're drawn to these peak moments that we all want to see together and it checks our bucket list. But the wilderness moments, the off trail moments, like the Hebrews experiencing this generations in the wilderness, some of them never leaving it. It's sort of like, oh, I guess we're actually here now. <laughs> and in the spring of 2021, what I've spent a lot of time thinking about is we're still in the wilderness season and maybe we're meant to be in the wilderness season. And in my white normativity culture that I live in, I guess I sought to let my senses rest and escape the wilderness or like, mm -hmm. when is it going to be over? Then I'm in a good place versus like, we're, if we're meant to be in the wilderness, what are we meant to do and see and practice in the wilderness? And what am I personally meant to practice in the wilderness and to attune my senses and to see and share with you that might be slightly different, but complimentary or to hear someone else's experience of the wilderness. And I wonder how you imagine that in a Christian community, say a new worshiping community or in your church in Morgantown. Is your church off the trail in some way? And if so, what are the signs of that? And what do you guys experience together because of that acknowledgement? I know when I hike, there are familiar trails that I always like to hike yeah. and go back and I always get something different out of them. It looks you know different in different seasons. But if I only hiked the same three trails all the time, it would lose some of its novelty after a certain amount of time. So you balance it with going to new places, going off trail sometimes, and there's always got to be that balance of going out, doing the thing off trail and coming back to the familiar. I think that's really what churches are when they function at their best is when you come back from a hike, what's particularly meaningful about it is if you process it and try and put it into words and share it with somebody hmm. who's close to you, who's also interested in hiking. Or you can say, I found this amazing place. See if you can find it too, right? Like that's what a faith community can be and should be in some ways is we go off, we have these experiences and we come back to process them together. And there are some times when, you know, going off trail with other people is much more comforting and much more safe. Say, hey, we have this new idea, this new thing. Let's, you know, a few of us go and do it together instead of forging out on our own. For us, that's been a great thing. Uh, one of the things that we've done is when I first got here, we had a bunch of dilapidated church landscaping that no one wanted to fix or put money into. 
And so we had five or six people in the church who were home gardeners, backyard gardeners. And we said, let's turn our church landscaping into garden space. So that's what we did. Yeah. We got the soil tested and we have been growing tomatoes and beans and cucumbers and cabbage and sugar snap peas. We're a downtown church right along the main street surrounded by buildings, but we grow, you know, if you walk through it in July, you'll see 20 tomato plants along the side of our building. We make that accessible to uh, houseless folks downtown because we think they should have access to fresh produce just like anybody else. Anything that they don't glean after we invite them to glean, we harvest together and we take them to some local food pantries and also to a local community kitchen that serves lunch uh, Monday through Friday. It's not just the produce that's meaningful, it's the relationship that we're forming with other people in the community when we're forming these partnerships, when we're deepening the relationship with folks who are experiencing extreme poverty down here. You got to just try some things sometimes and see what doors open. I mean, it could have been very possible that there was, you know, too much salt uh, and the soil was too dilapidated because nothing had grown there and it wouldn't have worked. Mm -hmm. Just give it a go. See what happens. You never know what you're going to discover. And now we've become kind of a hub where we have a drop-off box where other folks who are doing gardening at home, if they have extra, they can come drop it off and we take it That's cool. to the food pantry every Monday. So we're kind of a distribution center for fresh produce that has literally like zero food miles on it because so often food that's given to pantries has a ton of food miles on it. It's part of this larger story. Again, it's rooted in the Appalachian context of like, we want to promote local stuff as much as possible and going off trail together and building these new networks, these new partnerships and seeing what we can discover together. And so that's just one iteration of how that works. And there's a beauty in the sense of enoughness in the local economy. And that goes back to what you said about the Garden of Eden, right? Mm. And sometimes how I read that story is it's like, oh, you have everything. Wow, every tree, every beautiful creature and vista and thing to eat and to enjoy. But like, actually, that one thing we can't have, we want. We're so wired. And rather than to see first what we do have and not only to see it, but to enjoy it. There's this beautiful Hebrew refrain, Dayenu. Mm. It would have been enough if just one of these things were a part of what God has given us. But it's more than just enough without reaching beyond what is not for us. What advice do you have for those who are going off trail and also for those who are like feeling a little wobbly or a little bit concerned about the renegade off-trail people, like, what are they going to do to the system? You know, what spiritual muscles can we develop or curiosity mm. when we're encountered with the option to go off-trail or when we're sitting on session and the group of folks from the church say, we really want to try this thing and we don't know actually what it's going to do and if it'll work or not. I think on some subconscious sort of level, we're trained in our modern society to basically commodify everything. Yes. And what I mean by that is that there has to be an assured outcome. Mm -hmm. There has to be a predictable return on investment. Well, how that looks in hiking is we like 
the trails where we know we're going to get a certain vista, and we go for that experience, and we come back. Oh, it was cloudy at the top. What a bummer. Yeah. What a busted hike. And so people yeah. are like, oh, I'm never doing that again because nature was nature. One star. Like, it's responsible to you to give you what you go out seeking. And that's in that not, moment, it fits in with your schedule. Yeah, that's not how the wilderness works. <laughs> so whenever I go out into the wilderness... It's a struggle because sometimes you do want to see particular things and have a particular experience and that weight of expectations yeah. is always there and it can ruin the experience. So you have to try and shed that. Yeah. And you go out into the wilderness to be in the wilderness. Hmm. And instead of placing your expectations upon it, you become part of it as best you can. Hmm. And that way you end up getting so much more out of the experience because you get this sort of unitive peaceful experience that no matter what comes your way you're just there to observe it to be part of it to be part of this beautiful wonderful healing place that has been in existence far before you and will be in existence long after you and that's god's love made known in an incredible way and it's all around us all the time no matter what's going on, whether it's snowing on your face or whether it's a perfect 70 degrees and sunny, mm. there's something to be experienced every time you go out. And I think that's a metaphor sometimes for church is we so often go into church, go into ministry with the weight of so many expectations. And if you go out into the wilderness and you take too much stuff with you, if you carry too much weight, you're not going to get very far. And I oh, think that's a good that's analogy good. for how especially Presbyterians do things mm -hmm. sometimes is we place the weight of assured outcomes and expectations. The strategic plan. That, yeah, yes. We want to plan the hell mm -hmm. out of everything. Some sort, of, some kind of structure is good. Before I go out into the wilderness, I prepare a certain amount. I look at top of maps, the whole kind of thing, right? So a certain amount of structure is necessary and good. But we can take it too far really quickly. You have to strike that balance when you go out into the wilderness of the things that you really need to be safe and be sustainable and the things that are excess that you really don't need, but you've convinced yourself that you need. Hmm. So you leave as much of that stuff at home as you can. So when we even go to church on Sunday, like how much of that stuff or that expectation of what we hope to receive and get and extract from mm -hmm. <laughs> that worship experience or that ministry that we're involved in. How much is that weighing us down mm. from really allowing God to open up new paths, new ideas, new experiences for us? Like how many opportunities have we missed because we're carrying too much on our backs or we're too afraid to step off of established paths? Mm -hmm. And I think that fear and that commodification of our experience and ministry programs when we hope to get out of them holds us back a lot. That's a beautiful reckoning, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's bringing us into that ultimate cause of things, I think, what you've said. And it's, I have a quote for you, Zach, because I've been uh -huh. thinking about the privilege of being your friend and being a witness in some small way to the plans that you have for the future and the openness in your heart. And I came across this quote from Thomas Merton, yesterday. He wrote New Seeds of Contemplation. His quote is, our vocation is not to simply be, but to work together with God in the creation of our own life, our own identity, our own destiny, to work out our own identity in God. The commitment that you have that that hour is not Zach Morton's hour, but I think it's a much broader hour. It's the community you find yourself in, the church, 
and your openness in your heart for the church to be and see and experience new things as people of God and to your siblings in West Virginia. Just that willingness to walk for and with one another is such a beautiful model for being a pastor and a Christian and a spiritual entrepreneur in the 21st century. And I thank you for this conversation and everything you've shared. I think it's just filled with beautiful um, invitations to all of us as we continue this Easter journey. Yeah, thank you. I'll just add, I think that sums it up beautifully because, I mean, nature is just one big cooperation. Hmm. It's one big community. And the more we embrace that wisdom that nature gives us, the better off we are, the more connected we're going to be. And I'll see your Thomas Burton quote, and I'll raise you a John Muir quote. Um, He says, when a person tugs at one small thing in nature, they find that it's attached to everything else. Hmm. You can't isolate it. Everything's interconnected and interdependent. And I think that's a piece of wisdom that fundamentally that nature teaches us that we would do well to apply in our communities and in our churches and in our spiritual life is just thinking about how we're interconnected and connected to everything else. And that will lead us towards cooperation. Amen. You can follow Zach and even join the church online for worship at firstpresmorgantown.org. Thank you for listening to New Way the podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Heading our way in the coming weeks are more reflective conversations about Easter and how resurrection ought to shape our perspectives, allegiances, and actions. Be sure to click subscribe wherever you found this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Our growing community streams from Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher, and online at newchurchnewway.org. Our producer is the fabulous Marthame Sanders. You can see stories and photos from the humans who make up this movement on Instagram at 1001NWCPCUSA. Catch you next time.